everyone. Welcome back to Studs and Duds Sports. We are back for week two of our baseball podcasting. This week, we're going to wrap things up with our National League preview. And I brought back the Bishop of Baseball, Dennis Bishop. Dennis, how's it going today? Very good, Adam. Very good. Happy March Madness opening weekend to you, sir. Yeah, for sure. I got literally no work done this weekend. It was fantastic. (laughs) It's always the best kind. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so... Uh, Dennis and I are uh, fans of two NL East teams. We're going to kick it off with my favorite team, the Atlanta Braves. Uh, Dennis, where do you think that they're going to go after the uh, Marquecas retirement? Like, who's going to pick up his slack, uh, mostly in the clubhouse? Uh, Good point. Very underrated player. Did not affect the stat sheet as much these last few years, but looking back on some of his his numbers uh, during his prime, kind of made you remember what he was doing in Baltimore and then early on with Atlanta and then the presence and the consistency, uh, very crucial, uh, especially as we go from last year's 60 game sprint to a norm 162, you're going to be asking a lot of young guys to hold up their end of the bargain much more over that kind of season. Uh, so when you look at a guy as talented as Acuna and Albies, uh, you're also asking yourself, are they ready to lead for that long of a, of a season? Uh, massive, massive, massive move to get uh, Marcelo Zuna resigned for that very purpose. Love him in the clubhouse, crushes bombs. Uh, it really seems to be moving into his prime, actually, with the bat uh, after doing nothing but uh, steadily improve during uh, his days in the bigger parks in Florida and St. Louis, but big, big deal. They got him. It's going to, it's going to, you know, it's going to hurt the defense for another year until the DH gets put, put in major league wide. Uh, They'll have to eat that a little bit. might be a little opportunity for some overs uh, for the, for the daily uh, gamblers and fantasy players out there. Um, But big move. Uh, The other guys, they're going to have flashes of brilliance, and then it's just a question of, at this stage in their careers, how short can they keep the slumps? Because they're pretty well-rounded. I really like the young pitching. Uh, the bullpen, that's the only thing that I think keeps them from being an absolute top-tier team, uh, as well as somewhat uh, behind uh, my Mets, uh, is the fact that uh, people do have a lot of questions about that Mets bullpen, but if they're on, they're on. And they are a much more uh, volatile but dangerous group than yours. Yeah, you kind of touched on the the two bigger questions uh, Atlanta has with their lineups coming into the season. Uh, First off, obviously, Mike Soroka is out, still recovering from the Achilles, so he's going to miss the start of the season. So can that young pitching hold up early in the season until they get that stabilizing force and kind of their ace Soroka back? I think they will. Um, I think the double-edged sword with Soroka is, uh, you know, he's the kind of guy who he's not relying on a power repertoire anyway. So, you know, you're talking more Kyle Hendricks than you are um, John Smoltz, if you will. I don't, I'm not going to use uh, I'm not going to use Tom Glavitt and Greg Maddox uh, comps because he throws harder uh, than Glavin uh, probably ever. Dr- Dreamed and Maddox is on a completely different uh, level of the universe. So uh, I'll go with Hendricks and Smoltz. Uh, you know, he's he's uh, much more Hendricks. Uh, so 
the craftiness, the finesse. It's if he if he comes back losing a mile an hour, two miles an hour, he's going to figure out a way to make it a way to make it work. Um, so he'll it'll be a nice little addition when he comes back. I have full confidence he's going to come back well. And in the meantime, they got Charlie Morton in uh, on a great one year deal uh, that's going to cost them, you know, a little bit up front, but no long term, you know, no long term commitment, uh, which things as volatile as arms. Anytime you can do that. Fantastic. Uh, he's going to hold that rotation together. I think both in the clubhouse and on the field uh, after the, that, this is a team. They get knocked a lot because uh, people don't think that they've developed the pitching the way it should. Uh, but honestly, they, they're, they're pretty much right par for the course. They've spent a lot of assets in draft picks and trades to get upside arms. And they're about 50-50 on them. And honestly, if you look at previous drafts, if you look at teams, that's not bad. Um, they, they got it right with Ian Anderson. They got it right with Soroka. Um, they got the trade with Freed going. Uh, you know, just because they didn't make it work with some of the guys who are still in the club, uh, like Tuki Toussaint, Sean Newcomb, uh, you know, it's, it's not the end of the world pitching-wise. Uh, those guys still have some talent as well. So they're doing fine as far as their development goes. Uh, they're a very balanced team. I'm just curious to see if they have the, the new modern bullpen firepower that, uh, that other teams are incorporating or if they'll have to go and make a trade to get that later. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, obviously losing Newcomb to start with in the rotation is kind of a big blow, but then you can bring them back in, at the back end of the bullpen. You know, there was six, seven inning guy, six or seventh inning kind of guy where he can just come out and throw mid, mid to upper 90s and, uh, you know, kind of just get you through an inning. Even as a uh, spot like lefty to come in, he, he works there. Same with like Tuki Toussaint, bringing him in out of the bullpen kind of helps them out there as well. So I think a lot of their failed starting pitching or stud starting pitching, they kind of did a good job of kind of moving them to being those one inning uh, power bullpen kind of guys. Yes. Very, I mean, very true. That's uh, we actually spoke about that a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit last week, Um, the ability to, you know, when you're going to those pitchers uh, a lot of times you'll see on the, the draft reports, which often gets, to be just a, a regurgitation of the same thing uh, for guys that are, you know, the nuances are totally different, but in the end, you know, you'll have very similar scouting reports and, you know, the, the, the thing with the soft tossing guys that, that look good and kind of like become fan favorites and stuff. It's like you look across the league at this modern age and the guys who are crafty, they didn't, most of them did not start off crafty. They came in throwing hard. And it's the way that they've evolved uh, as they've lost their A stuff that's decided what kind of career they're going to carve out. So, you know, those guys who've got uh, the, the high velocity, the neutralizing uh, secondary stuff, you know, there's all, you know, if they can, if they've got that, then, you know, there's always that flip that they can switch and a guy can go from a failed starter to uh, a failed starter to a, uh, number one relief pitcher uh, in a system very very quickly. So uh, guys who've got that kind of uh, that kind of stuff always a possibility. And the Braves have been collecting those kind of guys for a while now. 
for sure. Um, and obviously the uh, last thing I have on them is you've got Christian Page that's possibly uh, Atlanta's number one prospect in their system, uh, starting with a big club this season, especially now that uh, Marquecas retired. You know, how do you see his prospects going? I know he's had kind of a dud spring, but most of Atlanta's offenses had pretty much a dud spring at this point. Uh, I am not sold on him yet. Uh, to me, be, being a Mets fan, uh, I was tempted by the, uh, the defensive skill of Juan Ligaris, uh for years. Uh, and Pash kind of, uh, kind of reminds me of him. Uh, there's more raw tools with Pash, but it's, uh, it's a similar set where we know he's got, he's got big-time wheels but throughout his career hasn't really shown it on the base paths yet. Um, whether that's going to be something that Atlanta is going to try to get him develop, or if they're going to take a more laid back approach uh, to the threat of stolen bases, we'll kind of see, uh, I would expect when they feel he's ready uh, to be given the green light, uh, they will do so. It's not like Acuna hasn't been uh, stealing bases. Uh, so, so I don't know. I'm, I'm not sold on him being as hyped. I think he has elite gold glove winning defense from near day one. And that's worth a lot. Uh, But to me, that's going to get you on the field. We kind of saw the same thing with NCR day where the defense gets you on the field, but your bats, it's what's going to keep you there. And I would like to see that, that bat come about instead of being just a projection, actually have it hold some production before anointing him the next Andrew Jones. So, so I think there's some work to do there. Uh, I think that's where you're going to miss Marcakis is that ability to hide those kind of weaknesses by letting them have uh, the days off and, you know, to break up the, the, the struggles, break up the, uh, the ruts. Uh, it's, it's now it's onto the kids. The kids got to really, take it and run with it. Uh, and I think that they're going to finish behind the Mets much because of that scenario. I, I just don't know if they're ready to go wire to wire baseball. Yeah. And uh, yeah. speaking of defense, let's uh, let's start talking about your New York Mets. I mean, obviously they made all the, uh, some big splashes um, in free agency. They want kind of a spending spree, but does any of this, any of these signings really improve the defense that was kind of a liability for them last season? It does. It doesn't have the same, it it doesn't have the same uh, effect that some of the, the wild projections that were coming up. I mean, as soon as Steve Cohen bought the team, uh, there was, there was a a new sheriff in town who was going to spend money, who was going to put a winner out there. I agree with the way he's run things, uh, with the contracts that are given out, uh, a lot of your, your, your Mets Twitter, they don't understand the finances in baseball. They don't understand the economics. We'll talk later on about, uh, the San Francisco giants. That's a team with money. Um, but these guys are business owners, uh, they're businessmen and they're not looking to blow an extra $50 million a year to be a constant uh, run-of-the-mill, mediocre team missing out on the playoffs. Uh, So that's what happens when you get into the long-term contracts, start losing draft picks for signing guys who are qualified free agents, trading your prospects midseason for uh, 
a win now kind of run at the postseason. Uh, it, it was, I think it was wise the way they went about things. Uh, they did improve the defense. Francisco Lindor is probably the, the best defensive of the up and coming sensational shortstop class of 2022, basically, by the time they, uh, the next season gets here. Uh, it's one that includes himself, uh, Trevor Story, Javi Baez, Carlos Correa, and Corey Seager, uh, barring extensions, of course. But uh, of that grouping, he is the best defensively. He's the best bet to stay at shortstop his entire career. I'm not quite set to say he is the best because in a what-have-you-done-lately uh, world, he has had a, he had a little bit of an off shortened season you know he's a guy who much like Jose Reyes when he left the Mets is a guy who builds a lot of his game on speed and defense uh a much better player than Jose do not get me wrong uh but just that similar thing where you're buying into a guy who the tools that fade that's what you're buying into with Lindor whereas the other guys guy like Corey Seager guys like Correa who have had very good careers thus far, but are still just scratching the surface because the bat is really what their game's about. Um, but still, great defensive move. Uh, that'll lock down shortstop for as long as they have him at City Field. James McCann comes and is going to be the best defensive catcher they've had in some time, as well as offering some, uh, some thump which they could use from the right side because they're a very, very left-handed team. Uh, the only question is that they really have left is what do they want to do with uh, with third base? Uh, right now, J.D. Davis will probably still get about half the at-bats, but I think uh, Luis Halerme is going to be the guy to maybe even start opening day. Uh, his glove is insane. He could be a gold glove winner at third base. He doesn't have the pop to profile as a third baseman. But if you look at the Mets batting, uh, batting lineup, it's very deep. They don't need a traditional 30 home run guy at third base to be successful offensively, especially with their projected pitching staff. So the defense has improved. You'd rather see Nimmo playing a corner. You'd rather have a pure center fielder out there. Uh, but I think that is of the, of the positions on the field where you were looking to upgrade, leaving Nimmo in, at center field giving him the full, you know, 150 games or so to prove it. I like that move. Uh, his his career has been interrupted a lot by injuries. He was on his way to really exploding last year. Uh, and then, you know, of course, it was only a 60-game season. He needs to play 150 games. If he can stay healthy, I think they'll give him the opportunity to do that. And uh, it'll be much more kind of play with Dom in left a little bit here, a little bit there, get uh, Alonzo some rest at first, get uh, Dom in there, let Alonzo DH when playing an American League team. Uh, but I, th I think Nimmo and center will be safe. I don't think it'll be great, but it'll be safe. All right. And then obviously they've got uh, some of the pitching that they've added on as well. You got Marcus Stroman, who I believe they acquired in trade, uh, you know, and some of the other guys that they've added on the uh, pitching side. You know, this this lineup and this pitching staff is probably the best in the NL East and, and one of the best in all of uh, the National League 
combined. Um, there's not a whole lot of questions for the Mets. I mean, obviously you kind of hit on it, you know, if they can figure out their defense and get enough, uh, you know, they're, they're not going to need a whole lot of offense anyways, and they have plenty of it to spare um, with that pitching staff going, you know, six, seven strong every, every, uh, <laughs> every day that, that uh, bullpen that you kind of already hit on as well is going to be pretty tough. Um, another team that has great offense, but <laughs> no pitching the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, let's talk about the uh, boy wonder. Obviously the Phillies re-signed GT Real Muto. Real Muto. Uh, Bryce Harper, obviously, is the boy wonder, um, you know, but will all these stars show up and what kind of production are they going to get on McCutcheon on that offensive side? The Phils, I, I feel the Phils are one of those uh, are one of those middling teams where you wonder what they're going to do because they signed they signed Harper to his huge contract. Uh, and then this year they, they got lucky. They got lucky with Rio Muto because the price tag came down. The price tag probably only came down because of COVID. Um, there just were not as many teams that were willing to dish out. I mean, you you will we'll shortly talk about uh, the uh, the stagnation of baseball that is the NL Central. I mean, you had a bevy of teams that could have offered JT Real Muto uh, fair compensation and driven his price up. Uh, the Phillies benefited from that. Uh, I don't think they could turn it down. Uh, you know, they got a veteran, veteran, veteran GM and manager. This is a win now team. And the question is really going to be, is their roster set up to be a win now team? Uh, it's, it's a talented roster. Uh, they underperformed projections last year. Um, and they're getting decent projections this year. So was it a case of the sample size was just too small for them to really uh, rebound like they would over 162 games? You can look at a lot of positives, but the fact of the matter is, uh, do you really want to count on Zach Wheeler giving you uh, the Zach Wheeler numbers you're paying for over a full season and for how many years? Because uh, as with many Mets pitchers, injuries are a big part of his past. Uh if you can get healthy Wheeler and you've got Aaron Nola, then you've got two guys that, uh, you know, you feel pretty decent about going into playoff series, but they've got to put themselves into position to uh, take a wild card spot, uh, you know, let alone win the division from the Mets and the Braves. So Harper, the, the biggest thing dogging him is inconsistency. He struggles to put the one year. It seems he put a full year together. Uh, the guy mashed and won an MVP award. Uh, that's the Bryce Harper we are all expecting due to the talent level. Uh, it's not the Bryce Harper we've gotten year in and year out. He's still on a Hall of Fame track. Uh, so some of his critics are a little overblown, I would say. Uh, and, and I have, uh, I shouldn't say hopes, due to the fact they are a direct rival of... Uh, my childhood favorite team, but uh, from a baseball aspect, I have hopes that uh, he will show up for a full season this year because he is the absolute perfect heel for baseball. Uh, we spoke last week about the angels getting Mike Trout to the, uh, to the playoffs and, you know, uh, a great formula for baseball would be 
the Yankees and Red Sox get back to being the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Angels and the Phillies uh, join them as contenders because the Harper versus Trout comparisons would definitely make for some uh, for some rivalry creating matchups. And that's what we're really missing. We're missing uh, some of that from the old days. Uh, they try to recreate that kind of inorganically when they went to the unbalanced schedules and playing your own division 19 times. Uh, they, they, they're trying to cre- create that uh, same with the interleague play. Um, you know, you need some more organic versions of that though, to, to come along and naturally, uh, you know, take root and a Harper versus trout would, would be a nice little spark. And that may sound ridiculous given that trout is the generational player of our time. Uh, and Harper, you know, you could put as uh, a bit disappointing, but that disappointment is still a guy who is on the outskirts of a Hall of Fame career right now. And parts of his game are getting better by the year. So, you know, perfect example is this year, or this past year, I should say, this is a guy who struck out fewer times than he walked. And for a guy that takes such a violent hack as Bryce Harper, that is absolutely amazing. Um, that I can't even explain how incredible that is to do in today's modern game with the pure talent that they roll out there in both bullpen and starting arms um, to swing that hard, but to avoid strikeouts, you know, at least to the same rate that you're walking. Very big deal. Uh, I'm hoping that it's a sign of things to come for him and that he's about to flip the switch on the second act of his career for the betterment of all of us. Yeah, and the biggest problem yeah. with Bryce Harper is that he is in the same generation as Mike Trout. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's absolutely going to to you know you're always compared to your peers, and, and it, it makes perfect sense. But you know, decades from now, you know you you have people who argue just this past year about the the Kurt Schilling debacle of the Hall and the Hall of Fame and everything. Uh, you know, you have situations like that where you have literally people who say that they don't think Kurt Schilling is a Hall of Famer because he was never the best pitcher in his league. And oh, ho-hum, he only pitched at the same time as Randy Johnson, Pedro Martinez, and depending on your view of of his training regiment, uh, Roger Clemens, uh, Greg Maddox, yeah, it's it's perfectly understandable that you might not be the best player in your league during those years. Uh, and p- poor Kurt, he was behind two of those guys on his own team <laughs> at different times in World Series uh, uh, ventures. So, so yeah, you're always going to be compared. That's fine. Uh, just don't want to lose sight of the forest through the trees. You got to see that the fact that uh, the man is still young uh, has produced and now it's about really bringing bringing the whole season together because that's how you turn those slash lines into the counting numbers which still uh provide the easiest frame of reference for a hall of fame career so i think they're going to be good but i just don't think that they've got the direction to compete with the mets and the braves 
immediately they're going to have to kind of decide what they want to do because they are not a young team. Uh, there are going to be some decisions made. It's a decent farm system. It's not a great farm system. So if they go, if, if they trade for some, uh, some win now, uh, you know, type of luxuries, it, it could quickly, it could quickly turn sour. So they've really got to be very, very careful. Yeah. Speaking of uh, another team that has a lot of, is kind of on the bubble between win now and blow it up and rebuild. Let's uh, let's talk about the Washington Nationals. Uh, obviously, they just added Kyle Schwarber, um, but you know their pitching has guys that were great five years ago. You know they have Max Scherzer, uh, Steven Strasburg. You know they added Patrick Corbin and uh, the ever aging John Lester is now in their rotation as well. You know where do you see the Nationals <laughs> fitting in in this rotation or in this uh, <laughs> in this in this in this race? Uh, I think that they are very, I mean, you look at, uh, your situation of, uh, very similar to the Phillies, uh, joint, joint at the hip by, uh, the fact that both teams are uh, where Bryce Harper once called home or currently does. So it's kind of interesting that they're in a very similar bubble. The difference with the nationals, while they have a similar situation with, uh, with their pitching, it's front heavy their injury questions um, and the offense led by a young absolute stud, you know, perhaps, perhaps the guy that's going to uh, chase Mike Trout out of town as the next generation's big hitter in Juan Soto. Um, they are in a similar scenario. Uh, it's a good, not great system. Uh you know, I think that they need to they need to decide if the two young pitchers atop their system in uh, Jackson Rutledge and Kate Cavalli, both big guys, both flamethrowers. They fit the mold of what uh, of what Washington does well. They can't whiff on them. Uh, developing pitching, especially if they do end up with an injury, especially if they do end up uh, with uh basically a, a lack of confidence brought on by uh, some, some early difficulty. It's not easy. And the nationals saw that firsthand with Lucas Giolito, you put Giolito on that team. And now all of a sudden the Patrick Corbin money, which now looks like it's going to a guy with less than elite uh, velocity who has not looked great. Um, you know, you got to wonder if that money, could have gone, you know, to Harper's pocket, or if that money could have gone to, uh, who knows, George Springer's pocket, uh, or upcoming one of the great shortstops in next year's class. You know, it's it's the the, the what if game that makes baseball fun. So they can't afford to miss on uh, on these two guys. They need to see the future replacements coming up the coming up the pipeline because uh, those arms, when they start to fade, they start to fade fast. And while Scherzer and Strasburg especially have the ability to pitch without their best stuff. Uh, you know, it's not something you want uh, your first three guys uh, who are making uh, a half billion dollars uh, to be experiencing all at the same time without some sort of relief coming their way. So 
that's going to be their issue. And, and, and they have had bullpen struggles themselves. Uh, you know, the difference between them and the Phillies is they have the best pure hitter in baseball and they have, uh, they've built up a lot of equity by winning a world series, uh, just a year ago. So it's, uh, it's a much better situation uh, just due to the fact that uh, they have some, some wiggle room with fans um, to keep the, before the brand starts to slip a little bit. Uh, but Trey Turner, Juan Soto, you have two legitimate MVP candidates um, hitting atop that lineup. I like the moves to get Schwarber. I like the move to get uh, Josh Bell, uh, especially because the Josh Bell return was, in my opinion, extremely underwhelming. Um, you know, one of the lead guys they got in that trade, the Pirates did, was Will Crow. He was a nice SEC uh, power pitcher at the time. Uh, the velocity backed up a little bit uh, when he got stretched out in the uh, in the majors or in the minors, I should say. Um, he's a and he, I think he's twenty six already. So this is the kind of guy that you get ready to plug into your rotation. And I don't think he's currently listed in the top uh, seven candidates for a rotation that, you know, lost Joe Musgrove and on paper, Jameson Tyon, you know, even though he didn't pitch, uh, you know, wasn't a part of the rotation last year. So it isn't on paper, but, but still, uh, that was a good, that was a good return to give for a guy who could turn it around and uh, hit 35 home runs this year. And similar with Schwarber. So those guys, those guys hit, it makes up for a lot of, uh, it makes up for a lot of, uh, deficiencies elsewhere, but they do have to figure out that bullpen because it was, uh, it was a joke when they won the world series, but guys really stepped up when it mattered. And that is not something you can just count on to happen every year. Yeah. You can't really expect Max Scherzer to come out of the pen you know, it's a winning a world series every year. It's just, it's not, <laughs> that's something you can just rely on when that guy's supposed to be your ace pitcher, you know, your, your number one opening day guy. Um, so yeah, the Phillies and, and Nationals both have a lot of big names. They're kind of two teams that are going to be on the bubble for a wild card spot. Um, so they're both also going to be two teams to take a, a look at or to keep an eye on around trade deadline time. Cause a lot of these contracts and a lot of these players might get moved to actual contenders if both of these teams kind of falter. But let's uh, move on to a team that has no aspirations on winning anytime ever. <laughs> the constantly <laughs> rebuilding on a dime, Miami Marlins. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the 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 name of this game for this year is regression. Um, last year, if you projected them over the full 162 game schedule, it was an 84 and 70. The eight team, uh, you know, due to the expanded playoffs, they made it mentioned last week. This is why I, I am a fan of expanded playoffs for reasons just like this. Um, it kept this fan base interested for an entire season. Now, when you crack into the numbers, if you if you take their runs formula, uh, the, the, the fact that they uh, were outscored by their opponents, their projections over 162 games would have been 70 and 92. So that's a far cry from the, the actual record. And it's something that is most often uh, regressed to when that happens. And some of their projections I've seen this year, uh, based on the talent they have in camp, 
they're looking at something much more similar to that 70 and 92. Um, there's not much to be had as far as losses or gains. Um, they're going to get Duval from your team. So there's some hope of some pop there. They will play some uh, platoon split uh, type combination. So, you know, you'll have Duvall in there. You're going to have uh, Corey Dickerson in there. You'll have some guys who might make them an interesting follow on a, on a daily fantasy or, uh, or betting uh, opportunity in dailies. Uh, but overall, this is a team that, uh, that they're still working on the rebuild. Um, and they need to, uh, they really need to see the wave of prospects. Some of them should be starting to come up this year. Uh, Sixto Sanchez, he's pretty much a lock uh, for rotation. Uh, very, very skilled pitcher. Um, I'm kind of reminded of when Carlos Martinez came up uh, way back a few years ago where he had that 98 mile an hour sinker going and a just devastating change up that drew comparisons to, to Pedro. That's an unfair comparison. Um, but Sixto's got that, uh, that same kind of combination. Uh, he's going to be very, very good uh, pitching in a pitcher's park. Uh, he's a guy to really focus on. Um, might not get as many strikeouts as you'd expect because he does more inducing of weak contact um, than pure swing and miss stuff. But uh, just due to the talent, that will probably pick up a little bit. It, you know, I, I'd expect at some point him to get to a strikeout an inning, uh, which years ago would have been a classic marker of a, of a pure strikeout pitcher. Nowadays, it's much more dime a dozen. Um but he's going to pretty much be leading that. You've got some, some middle infield-type prospects like Isan Diaz and Jazz Chisholm. They've really got to kind of find their groove. They're going to bring a lot of swing and miss. And there's going to be a lot of ugly games uh, for the Marlins. But the hope is that they develop uh, pretty quickly, and then you're going to start to see some more pure hitters on the way up in guy like Lewin Diaz and uh, J.J. Blade. They'll have some interesting guys coming up. They're starting to really focus on getting back to that pitching. And in Florida, you never know. Um, you know, this is a this is a, a squad that they've had guys absolutely captivate from the pitching side of things. Uh, when they've been good, it's been because of a, of a Josh Beckett, you know, going off. It's been because of a Dontrell Willis going off. And then the things that Jose Fernandez was doing, they were fantastic. This is a this is the kind of team that's always come and gone with what their, their top young hurler is doing on any given occasion. Um, and Sixto could be that guy, but they have other guys coming up. Edward Cabrera, uh, Max Meyer is going to be huge. I mean, uh, some of your listeners might uh, have heard that uh, Jack Leiter threw uh, a no-hitter with like 14 Ks or something like that uh, for Vanderbilt uh, this weekend. Uh, to me, Jack Leiter is a slight notch below Max Meyer. I mean, that's how good Max Meyer is. Uh, so, so there's talent coming. Um, it seems like there always is in Miami. Uh, and we'll just have to see how it, uh, how it plays out uh, with the, if they ever decide to open up the pockets again and spend. Uh, I think they're really leaving that burden up to the young guys to start drawing some attention to the team to prove that it's a worthy investment because like, like Jeter said, 
you weren't coming to the park when Giancarlo Stanton was here. You know, why are we worried about you not coming to the park when he's not? So, you know, it's, it, it sounds harsh, but it's also somewhat true. <laughs> so, so I expect them to bring up the rear. Uh, I, I would also expect to see a, a very heavy roster turnover right around that midseason point where they start getting more of the young guys involved. Yeah, you talked about um, Sixto probably getting, you know, the fifth rotation spot or even being a number four guy on that team to start the season. Um, and, yeah, I was just going to ask you, like, when can we see guys like Jazz Chisholm? You know, is that a guy that we're going to see break camp or are they going to hold him back and start that clock later just because they don't spend money in Miami? You know, Miami has not been – If I'm trying, to, I'm trying to recollect. I don't think Miami has been – uh, that bad about this. Um, first of all, as we saw with uh, also over the weekend, Bobby Witt Jr. was optioned to the minors uh, for the Royals. And this is where this is this is where um, you kind of do that, that you look at the balance sheet with with what baseball does, because this is always what baseball does. The Cubs held back Chris Bryant years ago and it started a firestorm. A lot of these guys get that comparison because of it. Chris Bryant's situation, much different than a lot of these other guys' situation. Chris Bryant was the best hitter in college baseball in, I think it was 2013, and he always hit. 2013, he finished off hitting. 2000 and, uh, you know, he, he, 2014, he got all the way up to, he just destroyed uh you know, A level, double A level, triple A level. He had crushed every level of the minors coming into spring and then destroyed uh, spring training pitching. So then we see guys like Witt. We hear other situations. Very, very, very few guys actually do the Chris Bryan effect. Uh, Bobby Witt has played 37 games uh, of complex league baseball. Um between his se- his senior year of high school and this spring training, and that's it. Uh, so similarly, you'll hear a lot of the the, the clock, uh, but most cases it's absolutely deserved. Um, now that said, the Marlins, I don't recall them having been terrible on that. Usually, the fact that they do not like to pay guys uh, long term, usually that leads to getting the most talented guys up as soon as they can, because they have to sell a product somehow. So I'm not too concerned with that. You saw Miguel Cabrera come up very young. You saw Josh Beckett up very young. Um, Those names are quite old now, but they haven't been too afraid to challenge guys. The bigger issue is that they haven't had too many guys lately, you know, that were up to the challenge. (laughs) So (laughs) So I think, I think they'll be all right. I don't think there's an issue there. I think they just have to keep drafting, uh, keep drafting, keep signing guys, uh, you know, in the, uh, the amateur markets and, and just go from there. I mean, I I just don't see them changing things until the players show them that they're ready to contribute. So it becomes a chicken and the egg situation and, you know, the fans will probably be the ones caught in the middle. Fair enough, fair enough. enough. Uh, Let's move on to Chris Bryant's team and the NL Central, the dumpster fire of Major League Baseball. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You're not far off. 
You're not <laughs> far off, Adam. Let's start out with the Cubs. I mean, let's listen. This is a, a division. This is pretty much a four-team race, and none of these teams are any good. But they're all so close to being division winners. It's you know they're all just kind of hanging on to these Asian guys and kind of half spending money and half not. So where do you see the Cubs? I mean, they have Anthony Rizzo, they have Chris Bryant, man in the corners. But for how long? Like, are these guys going to get traded this offseason? We've heard a lot, or this this season. I mean, we've heard a lot about Chris Bryant getting moved in the offseason already. Yeah. Um, there's a very good chance that you see things happen midseason with them. But that said, Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, these are guys that are going to get uh, draft pick compensation for signing elsewhere. So they're not going to tank because they're going to lose those guys or because – you know, they're going to wait to the end of the year to, uh, to look into re-signing them. Um, I think this is a case of stagnation just across the entire division. Uh, it was amazing to watch as no moves were being made uh, anywhere except for Pittsburgh selling off their players. Um, that's not exactly the best publicity when your only big moves are the – the lately seller, seller dweller uh, selling off more players. Um, the Cubs, they were sitting there. They were sitting there looking, you know, like despite the lack of moves, they might be on top of the division again. The Cardinals changed everything by going to get Arenado. And the funny part about baseball is uh, one guy should not tip the scales that heavily. But that's how slow the offseason was for the Central. All of a sudden, the Cardinals get Arenado, and they're getting their playoff ticket punched immediately. Uh, I won't. I won't say it's uh, it's quite that easy, but it seems like it sure did shift the balance of power. Um, as far as the Cubs, they got a nice little signing in Jock Peterson. It's a good chance to to go and show that he can play every day because I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of guys pushing him to uh to sit against lefties he deserves a shot to uh to play against more lefties to see if he's an everyday player because if he is that's a big contract at the end of the day um could also be another contract that uh the cubs are able to offer uh uh offer uh a qualifying offer to and get more draft pick compensation uh help them decide if they're going to spend that money or do uh try to turn around a quick rebuild uh Rizzo, Rizzo is very consistent. Uh, he has not put up the big numbers that look like he was going to early in his career. Hasn't been that kind of force. Uh, he's been more of a modern version of Mark Grace, uh, where it's just steady contribution. You know, all sides of the ball, offensive, defensive in the, in the clubhouse. Uh, Chris Bryant is, of course, your big question mark. Is, is Chris going to come back healthy? He clearly is damaged goods, uh, but if he can get the health together, go back to being rookie of the year, MVP level, Chris Bryant. Now you're talking about an instantly dangerous heart of the order. That's going to make everyone else better. Uh, if he doesn't, they'll be considering selling. Uh, but if they can show even uh, a slight bounce back from some of these star names, then uh, they should also be in contention for the division. So this is more of, a, of an environment, you know, basically determining the direction versus the team, I think, at this point. 
All right. Speaking of uh, Nolan Arenado, let's let's uh, just jump into this right now with the uh, Cardinals. I mean, they seem like they're almost a wasteland for uh, <laughs> for NL <laughs> West. <laughs> well, it seems like they're just picking up all the NL West guys that everyone wants to move. They grabbed Paul Goldschmidt a couple years ago. Uh, they bring in Nolan Arenado this year. Uh, you know, and they're kind of in the same boat as the Cubs and I, the two other the other two teams, uh, Cincinnati and. Milwaukee in in uh, the central. I mean, what do you think of their lineup and their chances for the season? I think the Cardinals are a very smart team. Uh, that you look at kind of some of the things they do where uh, you kind of you, you kind of do wonder if this is kind of part of the problem is they're very smart. They never seem to bit up against themselves. Uh, and they are often sitting there waiting, knowing that they've got a great fan base. They've got, you know, they, they've got revenue. Uh, they, this is not a poor team. Uh, they're very, they're very rigid in the way they do things. Um, you know, one of the guys they're going to be looking at is Alex Reyes. How long have been, we been waiting for Alex Reyes to do something? Uh, and I, I saw a blurb today, which kind of surprised me. I thought this would be a guy that, uh, between uh, Heisley, Hicks, and himself, they were going to try to go with uh, a three-headed monster type of, uh, of bullpen situation. And I saw some blurb about them uh, trying to keep him in a swingman, uh, long-relief type role to get him built up to 100 innings so that they could put focus on getting him into the rotation next year. I don't know if that is exactly what the plan's going to shake out, but just seeing a report like that makes you like, wow, they, they really are stubborn. Like, you know, this is, this is the type of situation where you would think it's time to get value out of Alex Reyes. Um, but they still have their blueprint of how they want to do things. Uh, so when you see them sit back and wait for a guy like Goldschmidt or Arenado and then get him for a very fair package, uh, for, 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 at least for them, uh, you know, it, it really makes you, you think I, it, it's, it's incredibly smart because they aren't paying inflation. Uh, Goldsmith contract was, was no joke when they went, when he signed Arenado's contract was definitely no joke when he signed, but by getting these guys a couple of years down the road, they're mitigating their own losses because all of a sudden the operating expenses go up every year and you see how just a couple of years down the road, a contract that seemed groundbreaking at the time now becomes more and more common. So, you know, I, I think it's a very wise way to do things. Um, you also have some, you also have some uh, choice in handpicking the prospects you send out. You've got that negotiating you can do. Uh, whereas, you know, you sign these guys, you lose draft picks, you know, guys that you're in on that you value. Now you don't have a pick to, to take them. So I think it's a, I think they do very good business. Uh, it can also make a boring product when they're not winning. So hopefully for, for their fans and the future of the NL Central, at least in the near term, they will indeed stay healthy and win ball games because right now having uh, Arenado, Goldschmidt, Yachty behind the dish, and then an old veteran hurling the ball like uh, Adam Wainwright. You know, those things, uh, you know, those things will sell. And it, it's something you want to have in the spotlight versus some of the other teams in that division that really don't spark a whole lot of interest. 
Yeah, you bring up Adam yeah. Wainwright, and, and uh, he's a good guy to bring up. Uh, he, obviously, he's had a couple of seasons where he was 19, 20-game winner, Cy Young contention. And he's had, you know, a bunch of seasons now in a row where he's been less than great. Um, you know, and last year his ERA, ERA was decent in the, in the short term from, you know, for the sprint, but he only uh, got decisions in five games. I mean, does this guy still have it? Can he go – six, seven innings and still be that dominant Adam Wainwright, or are those days long in the past for him? Well, he'll, th- he'll throw flashes of that. He's the exact guy that, you know, he's that exact type we started talking about earlier, who, uh, you know, guys who are crafty pitchers, guys who uh, who lack stuff but really get down with that grit, um, you know, that edge to them that uh, the old-timers love to see uh, from some of the the, the last of their generation type thing. Uh, this is a guy that uh, his stuff was once so nasty. He uh, made Carlos Beltran look silly while Carlos Beltran was in the middle of his prime. Um, unfortunately so for, for yours truly. Um, but this, this guy, he, he's become crafty as he's learned to evolve. Uh, he didn't come up a soft tosser. And he's making that uh, that transition. He did lose a lot of time to injuries throughout his career. Um, a couple big, not really, I wouldn't say constantly injured, but he, he has a few big breaks in his career of chunks missed that could have a that, that could be the deciding factor uh, on whether he gets a Hall of Fame consideration uh, because the highs were definitely there. Um, is he the guy you want leading your staff? No. That's why you have Jack Flaherty, and you're hoping that he bounces back. Uh, if he can, then the Cardinals will do what the Cardinals usually do, which is just kind of hang around, hang out in the weeds, make a couple smart pickups, and uh, and do their thing. I mean, for all we know, they could have Randy Rosarena running around their outfield right now. They just happen to fall prey to a, to a bigger alpha predator when it comes to uh, – roster construction in the Tampa Bay Rays. And that's no shame because they're uh, pretty much at the top of the food chain right now with the Padres, as far as creativity goes. All right, let's move on to uh, a team that raided some lefty bats from the uh, Red Sox this off season. Let's, let's talk about the Milwaukee Brewers. Obviously they benefited from Miami, not paying guys and picking up Christian Yelich in a trade from Miami. And he kind of runs that the show there and he's the big name on offense, but what else can we look at for the Brewers here? Well, the Brewers are a fun team because it, it, they seem to run on power duos. Uh, you know, they you, you look at the back of that bullpen most notably, and you got uh, Josh Hader, who for, I would say, the collective last five years, the most dominant relief pitcher in baseball. Uh, and then you got uh, right behind him after his rookie of the year uh, showing last year, Devin Williams who's probably the most devastating setup man in baseball. Uh, you got those two as a one-two punch to close out games. Uh, you saw the uh, the rotation, Corbin Burns, who was, I believe, a fourth-round pick a few years back, uh, really showed some things, came from a small school, showed some things, uh, then had some struggles in the big leagues. Uh, he reworked it and absolutely dominated and this year we're going to see if he can carry that through an entire season. If he can, him and Brandon Woodruff should be one of the top one-two punches in the National League uh, as far as uh, headlining a rotation. 
And now the question is, as far as the offense goes, it's a nice part to hit in. You got Christian Yelich, uh, you know, MVP level player. Uh, it looked like Keston here was going to be his compliment. And that was going to be the one two punch in the, uh, the batting order. But both of those guys have had less than stellar results uh, over the, the, the short term here, recent, the recent short term. And Yelich, I'm a lot less worried about. Uh, Hyura, he's really looking like he's going down that, uh, that Schwarber trail of college guy, beautiful swing, just laces lasers all over the field uh, and then falls prey to the modern analytics and the swing changes and the mechanical adjustments. And before you know it, he's selling out for power. He doesn't have to sell out for. And I don't know. I don't know if this is a thing that he's going to be able to get it back so far. Schwarber hasn't even years where he's hit the home runs. It's usually been a lot of benefit from a hitter's park and come at the, the expense of a lot of strikeouts and pop-ups. So we're going to see what higher is made of. I think this is, this is going to be a big year for him. Uh, this is going to decide whether he's going to enjoy uh, an all-star type career, or if he does get it figured out, you know, will it be, will it be too late to secure that, uh, that massive eight, nine year deal? And will it be more of a, okay, we're going to pay you, but we're not going to, we're going to make you prove it a little bit more um, big year for him as well as the offense. The rest of the offense, it is what it is. The, the names don't pop out at you, but the park helps. And I was not a huge Jackie Bradley Jr. fan uh, over the past few years. If you look at his numbers outside of Fenway, it's amazingly similar to the away numbers of guys like Juan Lagares or, Al- or Albert Almora um, or you know Jake Marisnik. It's very, very unimpressive. We are talking ninth hitter. Uh, we are talking uh, great defense, but absolutely no production at the plate unless he's hitting in a stadium that fits his comfort zone. Now, that said, Milwaukee, that's not a bad park to go hit in. And he fits that team perfectly because you put him out there and you put Yelich out there and you got Kane out there. That can be a fun outfield to watch play ball. Um, the, that's going to help those pitchers a lot. Uh, Woodruff, uh, Burns, Williams, and Hayter, uh, they're all going to enjoy having those guys out there. So I think because of that, they are going to win more games than their lineup would project. But if they're going to be dangerous, they need their big guys to, to come back to life. All right, let's move on to the uh, fourth team in the uh, the fourth out of five teams in the Central and the fourth team really that has a chance to be competitive here. Um, the Cincinnati Reds. I mean, obviously they've got perennial all-star Joey Votto, you know, hanging at, hanging out at first base. They bring in Mike Musakis a couple of years ago. Um, they go out and get Nick Castellanos um, last season. Uh, you know, the, the offense is there, obviously, but this is another aging team with kind of questions in their pitching staff, isn't it? Yes, this is uh, – we talked a little bit earlier about the, the Mets and their defense, and for years they tried to, to put people in positions that weren't exactly the best fit for them. Very similar in Cincinnati. Um, you're trying to get guys like Jesse Winker and Nick Castellanos uh, into the same outfield – 
and that can be difficult. Um, you know, then you've got uh, you've got Suarez. Uh, they're they're thinking about playing around and trying to move him to some to some shortstop play. You know, making room for Senza. It's it's a bit of a mess out there. They they're they're trying to be creative. I'll give them credit for that. Uh, they were competitive last year, um, but I think this is a, a middle rung team. Uh, it's a shame that they didn't get a full season of Trevor Bauer after they really, you know, they, they, they really made a good strong move to get him two years ago. Uh, this was exactly what they were going after. They were going after uh, a run. You know, you like to see the baseball centric small market team do it to appease the fans and, and really try to try to lift their brand back up. It's been a few years since they were a, uh, you know, probably about the same time them and the pirates were having real good rivalries. Uh, and they were actually content, you know, playoff contenders and all that. Um, it's been a while, but you know, they, they, they tried to hasten the rebuild with an influx of money, um, trying to get established names in there. And I just don't know if it was ever, if it was ever going to work. Uh, and then of course COVID hit and it kind of, kind of wiped, wiped things out. Uh, you know, they, they, they were competitive, but it just wasn't going, you know, wasn't going to be, uh, as, uh, satisfying as if it was over 162, uh, where you never know what might've happened. Uh, instead now they lose Bauer, um, they lose Rysel Iglesias. Uh, they had Archie Bradley for a little while. Uh, I believe they just straight up let him go. Um, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a roster that definitely took some hits, and they didn't really add anything that's going to shift that balance back towards winning. So I'm, I'm thinking this is, this is probably the clear-cut number four team in the division. Uh, they got some arms on the way, but they're going to need, they're, they're, they're going to need some, uh, they're going to need some, some help. They, they really need Tyler Stevenson, who they spent an early draft pick on as a catcher. Uh, not sure if he's a catcher, not sure if he's a first baseman, a lot of life and juice in that bat. Uh, he, he did some good things in some short, some short time last year. Um, but right now he's blocked by Barnhart blocked by Votto. And this is the kind of young talent that they, they need to see develop. Uh, not the worst thing in the world if he plays in Triple uh, A this year. You know, definitely better than not playing every day at the big leagues. But this is the kind of guy that they gotta come up and really help the uh, the next the next stage of Reds baseball because clearly Joey Votto that we we used to know and love clearly that guy is gone forever. Um, this is a guy who is. I don't want to say a complete lock for the Hall of Fame. It'd be nice to see him stick around for another couple of years and, and get like above that 20 home run plateau and, you know, just keep the counting numbers going a little bit. But when you look at the advanced metrics, like this was one of the guys that th th this is what they look like now. This is what, this is the guy that gets on base so much that he breaks OPS and, you know, his career number, I think is sitting around like 140, 144 uh, percent better than your average player. So, um, you know, that's, that, that's a huge number. That is definitely a hall of fame number. Uh, some of the all time greats have numbers right around there. So, you know, it'd be nice to see him have a little bit more of a, a swan song to his career and, but he's going to need help to do that. 
and it's not going to come from guys that are all trying to play the same position. So, so they need uh, guys like Senzel to step up. Jonathan India is doing a good job in spring of kind of reopening people's eyes. He was considered a, a top five worthy selection back a few years ago in his draft. Um, and it's kind of been slow going for him. He's kind of a tweener. He's not got the power to play a pure third base, not quite the defense to play uh, up the middle. So they're trying them. They're trying them around the field, similar to Senzel. They need those two guys to really start to click, stay healthy and be the next, uh, you know, the next staple as far as up, up the middle baseball goes in Cincinnati. All right. And uh, bringing up the rear, last but not least, the team that sold off pretty much everybody this offseason, the Pittsburgh Pirates. Obviously, they're full-blown rebuild mode, but they do have uh, Cabrian Hayes, who, you know, first-round pick that they brought up last season. Um, you know, they have some other pieces that they – Kevin Newman is another guy that they drafted first round in 2019 or 2015, I'm sorry. Um, you know, some of these guys are starting to – hit the starting lineup here for the pirates. Where do you, where do you see them going this season? Nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, uh, this is, this is about development for them. Uh, Sherrington came, took over, going to put together a a Boston like rebuild. I think Um, he's done some good things so far. You know, they, they've, uh, they, they've shown that they're going to take best player available in recent drafts. Uh, last year, they took uh, Nick Gonzalez out of uh, New Mexico. Uh, big time bat that plays up the middle. Uh, second baseman who can, uh, you know, c- c- kind of similar, kind of similar in some regards to, uh, to Hyera uh, a, a few years ago, where you're talking about pot- potentially the, uh, the best pure hitter, a college hitter in his class that also hits lasers. It's not just a slap hitting high average, high contact. Uh, he can, uh, he can take a pretty hefty cut and still cover the plate. Um, he's going to be big for him. The hope you hope you uh, hope. So they went from a polished college kid uh, the year before they took uh, Quinn Priester, who was uh, a big time high school arm, uh, you know, high school, high school writers have been falling a little bit. Uh, the the data on them is that the volatility, you know, really makes it tough to take them high. It's just that the, the success rate uh, isn't there due to arm health. But uh, they took they took Quinn, and uh, he is the the six foot three, long, athletic, strong, twenty uh, year old type that you do look for when you go the high school route for a right handed arm. Uh, he started off as a, as a 93, 94 mile an hour sinker baller. And they've quickly got him up to uh, averaging 97 at the, uh, the alternate location last year, uh, since there was no minor leagues, averaging 97 and touching 99. Uh, that's the type of arm that uh, when you pair it with uh, command and control that's advanced for his age, that's how you get your, your future frontline starter. So hopefully he'll stay healthy and, uh, and give them some, uh, you know, some dependability uh, sooner rather than later. I would expect uh, him to make a push to join the team and, uh, you know, probably, eh, probably the, uh, the quarter to the third poll of uh, 2022. Uh, so not that far away. 
but there's no reason to push him. Uh, no reason to start his clock because they're going to need a lot more help behind him. So there's pieces in place. Cabrian Hayes is the, is the big fish right now. He's that guy that, uh, you know, Pirates fans are hoping uh, that uh, 20, 30 years ago when they get nostalgic, they think about Cabrian Hayes being, uh, being that guy that, that came up and uh, took his lumps the first few years and was the leader of a, of a young revolution in Pittsburgh, uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, and see how that goes. He's an amazing defender. He makes a lot of contact for a guy that swings as hard as he does. I think that was something that uh, was not as well represented in his scouting reports coming up, uh, coming up through the system. Uh, he was more viewed as a glove first guy who had, had some pop, but uh, no, he actually has a lot of pop. Uh, he's playing in a big park where if you get a guy who can be a legitimate uh, power threat, you've got an advantage because a lot of other guys they're building their pop around guys who are built for their parks. And a lot of parks are not as spacious as, uh, as the one in Pittsburgh. So, so yeah, he's, uh, he's the guy they're going to be looking at. He's going to have to have the mental toughness to, uh, to weather the storm and continue to get better and challenge himself. Once you see that you're, 15 games behind the leader in June. So, <laughs> so hopefully, you know, you're looking, you're looking, I, I would say right now with what he's shown, I think uh, conservatively you're looking at a Matt Chapman, you know, at, at a Matt Chapman type of player uh, on the high end, the upper echelon, you're looking like a guy who could put up Arenado numbers, but playing in Pittsburgh instead of Coors. And that's a big deal. All right, last thing we'll talk about for Pittsburgh, Gregory Gregory Polanco. Is he uh, is he getting moved at the deadline? And if so, what uh, contender do you think he's going to be moved to? I I don't know if he's going to a contender. He's uh, he's he's basically a name at this point. Uh, you know, it, it seems like every year we hear the reports about Greg Polanco shed twenty pounds of weight. Um, outfield in, in in baseball these days is so incredibly deep. Uh, it's an easy place to find young talent because a lot of the position is, you know, the speed aspect, um, going out there every day and able to cover that, that large amount of ground. Um, Gregory Polanco was once that guy. And now Gregory Polanco is probably going to be replaced by that guy. (laughs) Um, I don't have a whole lot. I don't have a whole lot of hope for him. I think, uh, I think he's the kind of guy that you hold for too long and then it becomes you know, the, the, the return becomes less than worthwhile to actually get rid of them. Uh, they probably will dump them at some point just because, you know, but it'll probably be much more of a, of a salary cap move and not salary cap, but it'll be much more of a, a money saving move than it will a pure talent move. All right, let's move on to a team that has no issues with spending money. <laughs> let's talk about the, uh, Let's talk about the Dodgers and move on to the NL West. Let's uh, let's move on to our, our final division here. Obviously, they've got no problem spending money. They went out and got Mookie Betts. They, you know, went out. They have Corey Seager that they drafted. He's going to be getting paid soon. Um, you know, who, where, where do you see this team going? Do they have any weaknesses in this team at all? I mean, they just added Trevor Bauer this offseason as well. Uh, you know, for their rotation. Where, where are the weaknesses in this team? The weaknesses are um, 
Well, I'm splitting hairs here. I do 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 not take this as uh, do not take this as an angle <laughs> to uh, to really take against them. But if I'm another if I'm another team, then your your weaknesses is that you're hoping that that front line rotation is a little bit smoke and shadows. Um, Kershaw. He kind of he he bounced back last year, but it was a short season. Yeah, and then he was having a little bit of trouble early in spring getting back up to that 92-93. He's got to be at that 92-93. Uh we've seen the last couple of years how much more difficult the game was for him when he was around 90. Um, he worked on the velocity. He was healthier last year, but it was a short season. Uh, you know, then you go you go right next door to uh to Walker Bueller. This is still, this is, this is still a smaller guy who throws pure gas. Um, I, I won't argue with anyone that says Walker Bueller has surpassed Kershaw as far as the hierarchy of Dodgers pitchers. Uh, but that's, it, it's, it's not a long track record uh, of full season usage. Um, and then you got Trevor Bauer who you, Boy, I mean, you look even including inflation, it's going to be tough to find anyone in the history of baseball who made more money off of uh, off of uh, whatever it was, uh, 11 starts or whatever um, than Trevor Bauer. Uh, He's always had talent. He he's uh, he's always been on the cutting edge of the analytics and the metrics and the trainings and the, the, you know, the modern training styles. Uh, he's a very interesting individual. <laughs> I think uh, anyone who, anyone who keeps tabs on social media uh, can attest to that, but that's what I guess I would consider to be their weaknesses. They're going to have to mash if something happens to the, the, the front three, the, they could probably lose all three and still, end up walking away with a wild card like easily because of how deep that lineup is uh, and some of the young arms they've got ready to come in. But to, to, to be true world series favorites again, it's going to come down to how ready those guys are to pitch in October. Um, but that's a, that, that's a, that's a pretty weak, uh, that's a pretty weak link. If you're, if you're looking for one to break, cause that's still, that you're still betting against uh, one of the most electric pitchers in baseball last year, Cy Young award winner and the best pitcher of our generation. Uh, basically the, the Mike Trout of, uh, of pitching, if you will. Um, so yeah, it's, it, that would be the one thing that you might look to because May and Gonsolin were not always completely dialed in during last year's playoffs. So there, there may be some opportunity there, but it's it's slight. All right. <laughs> Speaking on to another team that just broke the bank this offseason. <clears throat> they have a, the richest contract in baseball, Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, let's talk about the Padres. Obviously, they are a young team. They're an exciting team to watch. Um, but are they contenders this year, or are they another team that's going to kind of hit the wild card and then – you know, try to make some noise from there. No, they're, they're absolutely contenders. Um, they've done amazing things. Uh, basically, basically AJ Preller, uh, 
I wasn't a fan of all the moves he made in the beginning. Um, but the one thing I do like about him is I, th- I think, I think one of the first things he did when he got there was, uh, maybe you can correct me actually. Uh, the, the, ju- the Justin Upton trade with Atlanta. Is that, is that ringing that, that bell, uh, yep. as far as, as far as that goes now, I didn't understand that move. I didn't think it was going to work. I didn't think it was a great move to go to, but, um, the thing I did like it and the thing that he has kind of continued to do is publicity, publicity, publicity. Uh, and it's something I don't think other teams really understand is, uh, especially with the, uh, you know, the short attention spans and the, the constant news cycles out there. If you want to stay on people's minds, you have to give them reasons to be thinking about you. And Preller will make moves all day, any day. Um, you got Jerry DeBoto out in uh, out in Seattle, who they've worked together for a few deals, uh, doing the same thing. It hasn't turned out yet. We'll see if it's a similar situation where two years now, two years from now, we're talking about the Mariners, like we are about the Padres. Um, it's a very interesting way of looking at it. As you know, even if we're not going to get better, you know, even if we, even if this move makes us the same we created headlines i uh, i think it's a a very modern way of doing business in baseball that i can get behind and you know look at the time you know they 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 basically gave away james shields to get fernando tatis jr uh who then quickly put on 30 pounds got a lot faster uh as he matured and started crushing baseballs um it's those kind of moves that you need to do, you need to pull off in a rebuild. We talked about Texas needing to make some things happen last week. That's what you do when you need a rebuild. You can't just sit back and wait for the draft to treat, treat you. Well, you have to, you have to draft a mix of high schoolers. You have to, you have to draft college kids. You have to go and be effective in Latin America. And you have to make some of these trades uh, where you get rid of some of your proven assets for up and comers and sometimes completely steal young kids um that's what preller has done in san diego and that's led to them being probably the second best team in baseball it just so happens that they're in the same division as the best team in baseball um but that could change this year because the only thing they're really lacking is experience uh the dodgers have that uh just that that's an ace they've got their sleeve that the the padres won't be able to take from them until they actually do it on the field yeah, other than that, uh, and then experience, I, I really don't think the Padres even care about experience because they all kind of go after uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. and they kind of take after his attitude where the unwritten rules of baseball, you know, if they're not written, he's not breaking them, you know? <laughs> absolutely, Ab- absolutely. Um, you know, that's, there is, this is part of part of uh, baseball in the modern day is with the, the development and the training getting so good, you're, you're just seeing that gap is getting smaller and smaller between an experienced player and a guy in his physical prime uh, without the steroids that we kind of grew up, you know, watching players on uh, where, you know, the, the, the thing about Barry Bonds was, was just his ability to be in the best shape of his life while also mixing incredible experience and a great baseball IQ. Um, 
I'm not trying to diminish what he did on the field, but it was kind of an unnatural combination. And that's why he's yet to get enshrined in Cooperstown. You look at these days, these modern days, this is what happens is we've now bypassed where we've gone the other way, where the young kids are taking things over at an early and earlier age because they're playing so much growing up and they've still got their prime bodies. It's harder and harder for the old guys to stay at an equal level, let alone a better, higher level based on experience, uh, despite declining stuff. Um, and, and, you know, Tatis is a great example of that. And that's why the Padres are buying in and putting him front and center. And here's a kid who, you know, it might be him, him and Soto, these kids, they might be too young. They might be too inexperienced to, to realize there's anything out there, but baseball. Uh, so they might be great kids to go and invest in because all they want to do is play baseball. You know, they haven't started worrying about their stock portfolios or raising families and stuff like that. You know, they're so young that they have one thing on their mind and that's being the best. So, you know, I say, I say go for it. Uh, and clearly it's treating them well because not only do they have the most electric player in baseball in Tatis, but they've got the most aggressive front office in baseball and it's led to a team that's added Blake Snell, that's added you Darvish, um, even though he won't help them this year, Mike Clevenger. Uh, you know, as we talked about experience and how the Dodgers hold that, San Diego went and tried to get some with these, with these uh, acquisitions. And despite all the trades they made, they still ended up only giving away half of their top 30 prospects, you know, somewhere in that vicinity and of their top 10, I think they only gave away three. Um, They are still lined up to make further moves or have players come up uh, for the stretch run and give them uh, some assistance. Cause right now, CJ Abrams looks like the kind of guy who he's going to be a lot of fun if, uh, if they move him to second base and have him play for the next 10 years with Fernando Tatis, because this is a guy who those two skill sets that it's going to, it's going to be, it's going to be just a blast to watch. Cause the, you know, he's even faster than Tatis. Uh, he doesn't have that raw power, but he's also probably a better pure hitter than Tatis. Uh, and the power, the power isn't a joke. It's still potential 20, 25 home run power. So these two guys are going to, are going to make waves that, you know, it's difficult to see from 3000 miles away on the East coast. Uh, we kind of talk about that with Mike Trout. These guys are demanding the spotlight and I think they're going to get it. Yeah, for sure. And let's not forget. They also, um, went out to Pittsburgh and got Joe Musgrove as well on a trade. So they've yeah, I mean, he, he, rebuilt their <laughs> rotation. Yeah, he's he's a he's a great guy to stick at the back end. Um, uh, he you know he's he's the modern kind of target. His peripherals were were better, and his analytics were better than his uh, success. Um, so he you know it almost becomes where you're almost overpaying for a guy you're looking to get for value uh, as far as the trade goes. Um, but I think he's going to a good situation. There's not going to be a ton of pressure on him. It's a good opportunity to turn his career around because he's been flirting with, uh, he's been flirting with a, with a strong mid rotation uh, career path uh, ever since Houston. Uh, 
but it hasn't really come to it hasn't come really come to fruition. And he's in a very good spot. It's it's kind of, it's I won't say it's now or never for him, but it's it's that chance where you know lesson to just not be surprised if he becomes the bounce back player of the year type candidate. All right, let's move on uh, to a team that's kind of in the middle here uh, with the Arizona Diamondbacks. They're not really contenders in this division uh, because they they just aren't ready to match up with the Dodgers and Padres quite yet. But they also haven't been all in in a rebuild either because they still have obviously some younger pieces um, and they just haven't been willing to move uh, some of the guys that they do have. And not only that, but they're going out with signing guys like Madison Bumgarner to be you know their number one guy this season. So where do you see Arizona – uh, in the spectrum here? Uh, I see them paying for the Madison Bumgarner contract. Um, I hope it's a situation for them where just a couple of years ago, they got a new TV deal. I think it was like a hundred million a year ish. So it was kind of like one of those where, you know, go spend that money. You know, it, it, it was, uh, it, it was a nice gesture, but man, given, given Bumgarner that kind of contract, that was, that was in my in my you know opinion a little foolish. Um, probably more of a lot foolish, but it's hard to say that about about a guy who's given us so many spotlight memories uh, as Madison Bumgarner. But the fact is the the stuff the stuff was never elite even when he was good. It was more workhorse, um, make it work, and then he was just always at his best at the end of the season when the grind had caught up with other people and he was just slinging, uh, you know, like the, the Texas ranching cowboy type guy he is um, just never seemed to get tired. Always wanted the ball. Uh, he, he was born. I feel 20 years too late because this is the type of guy who I feel goes to the hall of fame on those kind of credentials uh, and guts before this current generation of, you know, everything's coming at a high velocity and you got it it, until the day comes all of a sudden where you're not, you're not quick enough. You're not fast enough to deal with that. Now, all of a sudden it's a quick decline. I feel that that bums on that. Um, Hopefully you can find a little bit of the fountain of youth, but it's, it's an uphill battle. And, you know, the only thing saving them in that regard, as far as the rotation goes is, you know, they, they were able to make a deal a couple of years ago with, uh, with the, uh, the Marlins, they were able to get, uh, they were able to get Zach Gallen for, uh, for jazz Chisholm. Chisholm has a lot of physical tools. Uh, there aren't many shortstops in baseball that can produce the kind of exit velocity he does. He was, uh, he, he was definitely more boom or bust. Whereas Zach Gallen was already proving that he could get major league hitters out. Um, they made the swap. It kind of fit both teams timelines better. And right now Arizona is reaping the rewards with it. Cause Gallon's going to come into this year as one of the top arms in the league. Uh, but I'm not sure if he's going to get enough help to really have that show in the standings. Uh, that's where bum needs to, uh, that's where bum needs to really, uh, help out his rotation mate. And the Diamondbacks really got to help them out by getting some of these uh, young arms that they're building in the system up to the majors. They have not done well with that. Uh, they've done a pretty good job this last go around of creating 
uh, depth, but we've really got to see them make it to the highest level because that hasn't been happening with the guys that they've been dealt been developing. If you want to go and look at uh, baseball America prospect handbooks, probably the last five, six, seven years, there's a whole lot of, uh, of names with a whole lot of upside in them in uh, the Arizona chapter, but very few ever seem to be actually carving much out since, uh, since, I don't know, going back to uh, the days of guys like uh, of guys like Scherzer <laughs> and, and they gave him up. <laughs> so, so yeah, they, they, they definitely need to, to do a better job of finishing the development of those arms. Uh, it's a tough park to play in. It's almost, it's almost Coors uh, effect in the desert. Um, as far as the lack of you, uh, the lack of humidity goes, uh, and the effect it can have on the hitting circumstances. So, you know, they, they, they need to have, they need to have a better route to the later innings. All right, let's move on to probably one of the most, uh, maddening or frustrating teams in the division, the San Francisco giants. I mean, this is a team that, you know, as we've talked about, this is a team that can spend money, but doesn't. And they don't have a guy on their roster right now that's projected to be a starter under the age of 30 years old. Yeah. Um, it's not, it, it, it's starting to get a little obnoxious in San Francisco uh, because this is a, a, a team with a market. This is t- a team with money and they've really, they've really taken a long-term approach for their fans sake. I hope that you're looking at a situation where, they're really just doing their extra due diligence. They're going to get a ton of money off the books in the next two years because Cueto comes off, Longoria comes off in two years. Um, oh goodness, who was the uh, who was the other one? Um, Posey, you know, Posey might re up, but it certainly ain't going to be for that kind of money. So mm-hmm. you you've got those three coming off the books at a pretty big chunk, and about that time the the first wave of prospects should be should be ready to be steadily contributing it was a little bit of a punch to the gut to see joey bart struggle um he's kind of got he's got some work to do you know that's that's the thing is that the, the people who you get casually involved in the drafts i see it on chat boards all the time forums uh i see people who they are flat out against they're flat out against uh team taking a high schooler because they think that uh, that means he's going to have a uh, a longer path to getting to the team and it's just not the case you know um, I'm not saying I'm not saying that uh, need and timelines never come into to draft picks but when you're looking at that first round uh, if you've got a talented high schooler that you love uh, you know, you're, you're not putting him behind a college kid just because of proximity. You, you gotta go and you gotta get your kids and Joey Bart, you know, that's not a knock on him. Cause he was, he was an extremely talented college player, but there's been a little bit of a lack of progress this past uh, calendar year. So hopefully he, he, you know, gets back gets into more of a routine that uh, he wasn't afforded during COVID uh, and, you know, gets to quickly reacclimate himself uh, in the minors before coming up 
because they really need him to be the guy to jumpstart the next wave of talent in San Francisco. And hopefully that when that happens, they do have money. They are willing to, uh, to add guys because they do have high ceiling prospects on the way. But when you're going to be fighting off with uh, the Dodgers and with San Diego, that's not going to be an easy task for, I'd say the next five years and the giants, they can't be rebuilding for five years. So I kind of expect them to be aggressive in this market. I would be very surprised unless extensions get handed out to the, those five shortstops, unless extensions get handed out uh, by mid season, I'd be surprised if they weren't in on one of them because they need to start getting their core uh, to a place where they're ready to compete. Cause you can't just throw a bunch of 21 year olds together, no matter how talented they are and expect them to get the job done against these mega teams that are in their own division. Yeah, for sure. That brings yeah, us sure. to the, uh, <laughs> the last team we're going to talk about uh, for our previews and probably the last team we want to talk about anyways, the Colorado Rockies. I mean, they gave up obviously Nolan Arenado. They still have Trevor story who is going to be one of those short stops that you talked about coming up. Um, you know, they still have Charlie Blackman there. Um, you know, they, they've kind of got a mix of this young talent that they just brought up that's now aging. And then obviously they've got some decent pitching to go with it. But can these guys win outside of course? You know, I, I, I didn't uh, I didn't check the, what their other uh, home away record was. And I should have I should have done that. Um, but I was more ever since the Arenado deal with them. It's been more of uh, everything else has been secondary. It's like it's just been the. The, the shining beacon uh, has been just just as soon as I want to say that the uh, NL Central is what's wrong with baseball and what really needs to be fixed, competitively speaking, you have the Rockies be the team to kind of give the Central something to hang their hat on <laughs> by, by being even worse. Um, I don't know how you can do that. I don't know how you can take a guy who who you have crowned as the, the face of your franchise and in such short order decide you can't afford them. That's just Mickey Mouse. Um, usually I'm on the side of management, on the side of owners of that you're balancing entertainment with business. It's not easy. You know, everyone has their criticisms. Everyone is a, is a armchair quarterback, but this was bad. Um, there needs to be a shakeup uh, throughout the ranks in Colorado over how this went down. Because this is what they were really basing their franchise on. And it's so bad that the ripple effect is if you're Trevor Story, I'm sure you're not even talking to them right now about about contract extensions. Because it's not if you had three years to free agency, that would be different. They could they could decide to say that you're the future of the franchise, blah, 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 blah. You know, they could go in that direction. But when you're only one, you're one year away of betting on yourself uh, to opening up the vault of every team that could use a shortstop and going anywhere, this is not the kind of bad taste you want to have in your mouth uh, with no time for the team to make up for it. So now you have to wonder if you're going into complete rebuild mode in Colorado 
And that is not an easy place to rebuild because you have no idea which one of your pitchers that you're, you're developing are going to be able to handle uh, the, the mental, the mental strain of pitching half of your games in course field. Um, it looked like they had gotten some guys together the last couple of years that were able to do that. They were able to, you know, to tough it out, you know, Herman Marquez, Kyle Freeland. These are some guys that, uh, you know, they went out there, they would eat some innings. Uh, they weren't super concerned with the strikeouts. They could, they could mix in a little bit of both. Um, but yeah, it, uh, that's a difficult place to rebuild and they've completely trashed any respect that people have for the franchise. Uh, and that's a shame because it's a beautiful park. Uh, I've been to probably about probably half to two thirds of uh, the major league parks currently. And that one is still my favorite so far and beautiful stadium, good fan base, uh, a sports town, and they've completely lost the faith of a good fan base. And it's, it's a shame because there's, there's not a whole lot coming up. Uh, Brendan Rogers. Uh, I, I mistakenly chose him over Alex Bregman when those two were in the same draft. I liked uh, Rogers better than Bregman and Rogers uh, or Bregman, uh, despite uh, trash can gate has gone on to some pretty impressive years where Brendan Rogers still hasn't gotten out of the minors. Um, that feels like a long time ago and he's injured again. So we'll see how that turns out. Trevor story has been by far the biggest development success they've had. And it feels like that they're on the brink of losing him and not just losing him. They're not even going to get like the, what, you know, the, the Cleveland package uh, that they got in the Lindor swap where they got his potential immediate replacement with Jimenez, as well as a major league piece in Rosario and two minor leaguers with some ceiling. Like, you're looking right now at either they're going to take pennies on the dollar at the deadline, or they're going to let them walk and get some draft pick compensation. But for a guy who might be the best all around shortstop in baseball, when you mix in, you know, power, speed, defense, it's uh, it, it, that's a, that's a slight price to be taking in return. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is a guy where, you're, you're exactly right. If they move him at the deadline, you're going to get nowhere near his value in return. And uh, if you just let him walk, you're basically getting a lottery ticket that you have to hit on, which uh, Colorado to this point has not really proved that they can hit on those lottery tickets. No, I mean, if you, if you want to have some fun, look at, look at what they've done with first base in, in, in recent years. Uh, this is the the this is the hitter's haven. This is this is where you can go and turn a career around. Um, but yet, if you look at the who's who of first baseman they put out there, that's how that's how bad they've been at development, or it, maybe even not develop. Maybe perhaps more of choosing a direction. But when you play in that park and you can't find someone who's uh, able to knock out forty bombs playing first base uh there might be a problem because <laughs> everyone these days can find a first baseman it's why josh bell went for the the low price that he did um you would think that it would be easy to find and this year they're going to try cj crone uh and that could be fun because crone's the kind of guy who can hit 30 home runs uh 
in bigger parks, places like Minnesota. Uh, you know, they tried him in Detroit. So it, it could be fun to watch him play, but it's going to be completely one-dimensional. And we'll see if he even gets to the home run plateaus because the Rockies have not been great at that. Yeah, and then um, not to mention the, the other guy that kind of gets forgotten here is Charlie Blackman. I mean, this guy two, three years ago was on the verge of hitting 400 <laughs> and now he's kind of on the decline. I mean, I, I, obviously Coors helps with, you know, the numbers there, but uh, you still got to be able to put the bat on the ball and, and hit, hit it hard to, to get it to land somewhere. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're looking at a guy, Charlie Blackman, who's now, you know, almost 35 years old. He's, you know, kind of starting to decline a little bit. He's getting a little bit of the help with Coors, you know, to inflate his numbers, but he's another guy. Definitely. definitely. Little to nothing. No, absolutely. Uh, There's, there's no under, there's no understating the Coors effect. Um, It's massive and you have to take advantage of it. I don't know if it's a, I don't know if it's a matter of they've been trying to fight it. Um, It could be, something more difficult to pinpoint such as when you try to mix in the difficulty of uh the difficulty of uh the training and the kind of shape you need to be be able to stay in in today's game mixed with the higher elevations maybe maybe that's got something to do with it as far as conditioning and uh and injuries go but whatever it is there's got it you know they, they need a shake up they need someone to come in there who's going to choose a direction and follow it. If, if I were them, then I would be looking to be the next team that's going to steal an executive away from Tampa Bay. Because if there's one place that these kind of gimmicky yet effective uh, strategies need to be put into place, you would think it would be coarse. Um, but part of the problem comes down to the stubbornness uh, and loyalty, I guess, you know, maybe lack of a better word of uh the owner and his management team uh he he he's had a, a long-standing group and he doesn't want to get rid of them so that that loyalty seems to be coming at a fault and they really need to shake things up there uh because it's not working and it's definitely not working now all right let's uh Let's wrap it up for our previews here and move on to some quick predictions for the NL. You want to kick us off with your uh, division winners? And yes, sir. Players? Yes, sir. This this one uh, this one much more straightforward, I say, than uh, than our American League ones. I'm going to go with the Mets over the Braves. I don't think it's going to be a big. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a big deficit. I think it's going to come down to the last couple weeks of the season. Uh, the Mets not getting there their projected starting rotation until the first couple months of the season with Syndergaard coming back from Tommy John and now Carlos Carrasco being out, they're going to want to give him plenty of time to be healthy. His inclusion with like two and a half or whatever, I think two, two and a half years left of control uh, in the Lindor deal that made that trade just as appealing as getting Lindor. So they're going to want to take it easy with him. Uh, but the Mets have secured major league backup, you know, uh, depth. That's been their big move this year, aside from a couple of the names that we talked about earlier. The Braves, they're a very good team. They're not quite a completed team, but I don't see reason for them to take the foot off the gas. They are 
They're up and coming. I'm going to say those two teams uh, battling it out. Uh, Braves take a wild card spot uh, in our central. I'm going to say the, I mean, on the power of uh, the corner infield uh, and their, uh, their in-depth uh, views of their protocols and everything. I'm going to say the Cardinals, um, they're not going to be afraid to make a move to, uh, to win now, which is what I don't see happening in Chicago. Uh, there's a little bit less direction there. I don't think that they're kind of come, going to come away with a wild card. Uh, I could see the wild card teams having better records than the Cardinals. Uh, and I don't see the Cubs being, uh, all that tight in the wild card race. Um, even though that divisional race will be anything but a blowout. And then finally Dodgers, uh, slightly edging out the Padres. That's going to be prime time. Must watch TV watching, uh, those two teams square off this year. Uh, I'm going to say Padres come up just short, uh, second best team in baseball. They're going to have to make sure that they're well set up for the wild card matchup. All right. Uh, as much as it pains me to say it, I'm actually going to have to agree with you for my picks for the East. I think I'm going with the known versus the unknown, really, with the Mets over the Braves. I think the Mets are definitely uh, a team that has a lot of major league depth and that is proven uh, commodities. Whereas with Atlanta, you've kind of got a lot of unproven guys. You've got a lot of younger guys, even in their starting rotation to start the season. You know, the Mets have these guys that are proven and Atlanta's kind of got like your Ian Anderson's and these guys that just kind of came up and they've shown flashes, but we don't know if they can handle it for the whole season. So I do like the Mets over the Braves. I do think the Braves are going to take a wild card spot, uh, assuming that the wheels don't fall off on their pitching staff. Uh, and they do have enough actually to uh, make a move at the deadline, maybe to shore some things up if they do have some weaknesses. So I like them for wild card in the central. <laughs> it's, it's a coin flip between really three teams here. Um, I'm going to say that the Cubs are going to move on from Chris Bryant this, uh, this year at the deadline. I don't think they're going to be, I think they're going to be just far enough out where they're going to sell. So I think the Cubs are out. It's going to come down to the Brewers and the Cardinals. And uh, I just like the Cardinals pitching a little bit better. So I'm going to stick with the Cardinals there as the division winner. And for the West, it's, you know, as you mentioned, you kind of have the juggernaut in the Dodgers and the uppercomers and the Padres. The Dodgers, uh, as you hit on with our previews, um, they definitely have that edge there with the experience while the Padres just kind of have the swagger and they just don't care. But there's not, there, there is something to be said for experience. I like the Dodgers to win it. The Padres to take the wild card there as well. So we're actually on the same page here. For the most part, oh, scary, the, uh, scary, scary <laughs> stuff right there. I know, I know. I know. I, I was tempted to take the Braves over the uh, Mets just based on the uh, the farm system that Atlanta has and their ability to make moves later on at the deadline should they be close. But uh, you bring you you bring up a good you bring up a good point with that. The only reason that I did not weigh that more heavily is looking at the Atlanta system. The guys that they've got who are highly rated, who are close to the majors, I think they slot too well into what the Braves are trying to do right now to where I don't think they're going to want to let them go. I don't think they're going to want to let Langoliers go. Um, you know, Pesce is already up in the bigs, basically. So I don't think that, you know, they're not going to want to move him. You bring the opportunity to move uh, Waters, but 
Uh, I, I'd say he's the best chance of a guy you're going to move. You, you don't really want to separate yourself from upper level pitching if you're a contender. So I think that the system is nice, uh, but I also don't think it's a system that they want to dip into if they can avoid it. Uh, yeah, I'm 100% agree. I figured if they were going to move anybody, it would be Waters to try to get another piece for the pitching staff if they need to later on. But uh, again, I, I 100% agree. I don't think they're going to move too many of the other guys, especially with Pache uh, possibly being on the opening day roster. And then, you know, your upper level pitching, you don't want to move that it until you know for sure what you have. So, um, well, that's going to wrap us up for the National League preview. Uh, Dennis and I are going to be back next week. We're going to go over some coming out of spring training stock up and stock down guys and see who's going to be hot going into the first week. Maybe we'll uh, talk about some interesting uh, matchups to focus on in the first week of baseball as well. So for Dennis, I am Adam, and we'll catch you next week.